You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha Review Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the weekly Parsha Review. This week's Parsha, it's a new book of the Torah, the third book of the Torah, Leviticus. It's the Chumash of Vayikra, and it's the Parsha of Vayikra. It is the first portion in the book of Leviticus, in the book of Vayikra, and the 24th portion since the beginning of the Torah. There are 111 verses in this week's Parsha, 1,673 words, and 6,222 letters. There are 16 commandments in this week's Parsha, 11 performative mitzvahs, and 5 prohibitions. Okay, so the book of Shmos that we just concluded, we talked about the construction and completion of the Mishkan, the physical dwelling place for Hashem near us. And their job of donating and construction is complete. But Moshe's job now just begins. Moshe is going to teach the Jewish people, the Kohanim, the priests, how to bring the offerings. The book of Ayikra, also known as Leviticus, is also known as Torah's Kohanim, the Torah of the priests, because it details the laws of the priests. Vayikra begins with Hashem speaking to Moshe in the Mishkan, in the tent of meeting, and telling of the karbanot, of the sacrifices and offerings. And these were a very important part of the service in the Mishkan. We learn about various types of karbanot, of offerings. We learn about the Ola, which is a burnt offering, which is burnt entirely on the altar. Five different types of mincha meal offerings, which are sacrifices made from flour and olive oil. Part was burnt on the altar and part was given to the Kohanim. Mixing leaven and honey into the offerings is completely uh, prohibited. And the offering is for those who cannot afford the normal guilt offering. So this is uh, this was the, the cheaper form of offering. It was just some flour and some olive oil. And then you had the shalamim offering, the peace offering, part of which was burnt on the altar and part of which was eaten by the person who brought the sacrifice as well as parts given by the owner to the kohanim. The shalamim could be brought from cattle, sheep, or goats. The chatas offering, the sin offering, sacrifices brought as atonement for someone, the Kohen Gadol, the prince, the average citizen, or the entire community who accidentally sinned. And the asham, the guilt offering sacrifice, was brought to atone for certain specific sins. And these sins are me'ila. Me'ila is someone who accidentally used something that's supposed to be dedicated for the Mishkan. So imagine if someone was supposed to have a cheer that was supposed to be donated, he, he committed it and donated it to the temple, and then he ended up using it for his own personal use and didn't bring it to the temple. So that's he's Moel Behegdash, he's taking something that was designated for the Mishkan, and that was warranting a guilt offering. There's another is a questionable guilt. If someone thinks he may have sinned, but he's not sure. If someone who swears falsely while trying to cheat somebody. So, for example, if in the Talmud we learned in the past, if someone is accused of doing something, you, you stole my watch, and they say, no, I didn't. Okay, so we take, take them to court, 
and they go to in front of the Jewish court and they say, I swear that I did not steal the watch. And then they open up your pocketbook and you see the, the watch there. And we have witnesses that confirm that they saw this theft. So what does a person do? They, they swore in vain. They used God's name in vain. So they'd bring this asham, this guilt offering. And then certain verbal transgressions and for transgressing, transgressing laws of ritual purity. So these are guilt offering sacrifices. And now the Torah prohibits eating blood or chelev, certain fats of animals. So we have to understand like this. When you buy kosher chicken, it isn't more expensive because there's a rabbi tax on it. It's more expensive because there's a lot more that needs to happen to make that chicken or meat kosher. For example, the meat needs to be rinsed with warm water. Then they sprinkle salt, which is otherwise known as kosher salt now, because that's the type of its coarse salt, which was used to extract all of the blood. And then it'd have to be rinsed again. So they say, I've never tasted non-kosher meat, but they say that Kosher meat is a little saltier than non-kosher meat because of this salting process. Now, it's interesting that we also see that all offerings, every single one of the offerings, was required to have salt in it. Okay, we'll see that uh, soon. But when bringing an offering, the animal was brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting, to the Mishkan. For cattle, the person bringing the offering sets his hands on the animal. He gives what we call smicha, in which he would put his hand on it. And basically what he would say is this should be an atonement for my sin. Instead of me being put to death, this animal should be put to death instead. Afterwards, it is slaughtered by the Kohen, and the Kohen sprinkles its blood on the altar. The animal is skinned and cut into pieces. The pieces are arranged, washed, and burned on the altar. There are many laws and intricate details regarding the karbanot, but one rule applied to all is that every sacrifice was brought with salt. Okay, so now some important lessons from this week's parsha. So if you look at the first word of this week's parsha, you'll notice that the aleph of Vayikra, the last letter of the word Vayikra, which means Hashem called Moshe, is small. So we need to know a very fundamental principle about the Torah. Moshe was not allowed to add or subtract a single letter from the Torah. And here was one case where Moshe wanted to remove a letter from the Torah. He wanted to remove the Aleph from the Torah. Because Vayikra means God called him. And here, don't forget, this is after they built the tabernacle. They are ready to go. Everything is assembled. Everything's ready to go. And now God says, uh, Moses, please step forward. Moses was the humble of all men. Most humble person ever. He didn't want to be in the Torah, pronounced, God calls him. So he wanted to change that word instead of vayikra, vayikar. And he happened upon the Almighty. Not that God called him but rather that he happened upon a meeting with the Almighty. And that's why he wanted to take the letter Aleph out. But God says, you can't do that. It's not your Torah, it's my Torah. And I want it to be with an Aleph that I called you. 
So the compromise was that it'll be a small Aleph. And if you look in the Torah, you will see that the Aleph in the word Vayikra is a small Aleph for this reason, because Moshe was a humble man, and he didn't want to be pronouncing, here we go, now they're starting the service in the temple, and who's called up to the plate? Moshe. There are other small and large letters in the Torah, and each one has a reason for it. We, we will try through the process of our studying through the parshias, we will try to bring light to each one of them. That's Moshe's humility. But I want you to understand something very amazing, and that is that all of these offerings, every single one of these offerings, is really the greatest gift in the world, the gift of repentance, the gift that a person has the ability, the opportunity to clear away something that they've done wrong. Are we perfect? My wife is perfect. But really, humanity, we're not really perfect. We make mistakes. So what do we do with those mistakes? God gives us the opportunity to repent. How do we repent? We bring an offering. Instead of us, imagine this. Imagine what an offering was, okay? Today, it would be not a a bull, not an ox, not a cow, not a sheep or a lamb. You know what the offering would be today? Your car. A car is very valuable. And imagine someone does a sin against the Almighty. He says, God, I made, I made a mistake. I'm bringing an offering. I'm giving something which is very valuable and very precious. By the way, animals are expensive. Are expensive. Animals are very expensive. It's giving a, 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 something which is an income producer. This is schlepping my, my goods to the marketplace, whatever it was. Produces milk. Meat, it's very valuable. Imagine you bring your car now as an offering and they bring you bring it to the temple. So they bring the wrecking ball. The Kohen says, okay, release the wrecking ball. And boom, it smashes your car. And now imagine that. Imagine there goes your car and you're like, oh, that's my Lexus. Oh my goodness, right? Imagine that pain. And you and you take your hands, you do smicha, you put your hands before you, before they drop the wrecking ball on it, you put your hands on the hood of the car and you say, Hashem, this should be a sacrifice. Instead of me being hit with that wrecking ball, this car should be taken as an atonement for me. Now put that into your mind. Hashem gave us the opportunity and the privilege to repent. You make a mistake. Hashem says, you can correct that mistake. Don't worry about it. I got you covered. And this is a really, really special thing. It's not something that should be taken lightly, that we have the opportunity, we have the privilege of correcting our ways. There was a process to it. Hashem gives us the process to it. But recognize that it's a tremendous gift. You make a mistake, that's fine. Don't get depressed about it. Figure out how you're going to fix it. How do you fix it? You say, Hashem, please forgive me. And we bring an offering. And an offering is something that's of value to us. All right. Now, what happens if someone was about to bring an offering and he says, this shall be an offering such and such. Or this should be an offering of such and such. You Once it's dedicated as an offering, once it's committed verbally, that is it. You can't change it. You can't say, whoa, 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 I meant to say, no, no, no. Once it was verbally committed, it's verbally committed. 
Our sages tell us, our Hasidic masters teach us. That's the power of words. The power of words is so great that it can commit a, an offering, a sacrifice, but it can also ruin someone's life. King Solomon says, Life and death are in the hands of the tongue. Your words have such awesome power, such incredible power. They can give life and they can take life. This is something we need to be very, very careful about. We need to be very careful with our words. In fact, the Torah gives an explicit prohibition not to inflict pain on another Jew with words. Lo sonu ish es amitecha. You shall not cause pain to another Jew with your words. That also means not teasing someone. It also means not insulting someone that's obvious. You call someone a name. You have a derogatory statement towards someone. Got to be very careful. Not to inflict pain on another person with your words. Our words are very powerful, and that's the one, one of the things that we learn in this week's Parsha. Now, we, we mentioned previously that every offering needed to have salt brought with it. What is salt? We know every Shabbos, when we cut our challah, we dip it in salt three times. Why do we dip it in salt? Why is it so significant and important? Every time you eat bread, you're supposed to dip it in salt. Why? Because salt is a preservative. And what salt represents in our relationship with God, our sages tell us, is that we are committing our relationship with God and preserving it forever. We're saying our food that we eat is not just food to sustain our body. It's it's food to nourish our soul. It's food to elevate us. It's food to make us holy. Food is not just sustenance for the body. And this is such an important fundamental principle to ensure that when we eat, we're bringing God in. And it's interesting. Some people pour salt on top, but the halacha says that you should actually dip the challah into the salt three times. Three locks it in. It, it, It reaffirms it. I believe this is the first time in the Torah that it mentions bringing salt in our offerings. Now, it's interesting that we also say that when we eat our bread, we should dip it in salt because our sages tell us that when we eat a meal, it's like bringing an offering. It's like bringing an offering. Therefore, we have that comparison of the salt. It doesn't say in the Torah that we have to dip our bread in salt. It says our offerings should be brought with salt. That the sages derive in halacha that we should also do so for our bread because it's compared to the offering that was brought in the temple. So there is a link there. Now, the offerings that were brought, there were three different types of animals that were brought. Now, it's very, very important. I add this later at, at in the bottom of our important lessons. But there's something called a mum. A mum is a blemish. And there were about 40 different types of blemishes that an animal could have that would render it invalid 
from being brought as an offering. So an example, if it had a broken leg, had a broken limb, if the animal, after slaughtering it, one of the things that we do is we check its lungs. Did it have a puncture in the lungs? Which surprisingly is pretty common for animals. It is interesting. It would have, and they, they take out the lungs, it's like a balloon. And the, the, the shochet, or the person checking after the shochet, who is certified, who knows the laws, would blow into the lungs. And if the didn't blow up like a balloon, it means it had a hole in it. And they would find that hole, and that would identify this animal as being a blemished animal. Retroactively, when it was slaughtered, it wasn't a valid offering, and they'd have to bring another one. Uh, so what they do is an animal would be put into a into like a little pen for about four days, I believe it is. And in that pen, they would be observed by the shochet, by the slaughterer, and ensure that it walks properly. In fact, I want to share with you something really amazing. They would have to do this with every animal. Every animal. And by the way, we do this today. We do this today. A kosher animal that you eat its meat was checked and verified that it was kosher. They walk with it to make sure that it can walk without limping. They make sure that they, it's able to walk. They make sure that it's, it's a healthy animal. But what do we do about fowl? What do we do about fowl? How do you know if a duck, duck is delicious, duck is kosher. How do you know if a duck has a, an organ or a blemish that would render it unkosher? So what they would do is they would take the fowl and they would put it upstream and they would see that it would go against the current. If it's able to go against the current, it is a kosher animal. We see that it has no blemishes in its legs, in any of its organs, because otherwise it wouldn't have the strength. It would just flow down with the current. Our sages tell us that we are like the fowl and that we need to learn to go against the current as well. Don't go with the flow because everyone does this. Everyone does it, so I have to do it as well. If you know that something that everyone does is incorrect, don't do it. Stand up and go against the current. That's one of the identifiers of a kosher animal. We want to be that kosher person. We are, we're, it's representing us. We need to learn to stand against the current. Now, the ox that was brought as an offering, we know that Ab Abraham ran to get an ox to serve his guests. We can bring a sheep. The sheep was Yitzchak. Isaac is compared to the lamb when he was brought as a sacrifice. And the goat... Yaakov was instructed by his mother, Rivka, to bring two kid goats from the flock and bring them to his father, Yitzchak. So we see here the representation of the animals that were brought as offerings were all already what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob already set as foundations. And we know that the two birds, the mature turtle doves, and the young doves, pigeons, were also able to be brought as offerings. Okay, now... Mixing leaven or honey into the sacrifice is prohibited. Why? Because their inflated self-image may have caused them to sin to begin with. 
You know, it's very interesting. We're about to enter into the holiday of Pesach. In a week and a half, we'll be sitting at our Pesach seders, respectively. And we're going to ensure that our homes are clean and that we don't have any leavened items in our homes. No cakes and no cookies and no breads and no pitas. And we're going to ensure that it's all clean. What is this leavening agent? It fluffs up what's there. Our sages tell us that arrogance that we have as human beings, that little yeast makes us, a, what, a simple human being. Oh, we get inflated and we feel like we're, and that's why we sin. Our sages tell us that's why in the offering, no leavening was allowed to be mixed with it. Why? Precisely because the sin may have become only due to the arrogance that we represent, that we had within us. So therefore, we remove it completely. And then the Asham Talui, one of the guilt offerings, there are, if you see on the next, on the other side of your notes, and to those of you who are online, you're welcome to download them. I'll have the link in the podcast description. You can download the Parsha review sheets every week. But we have the all of the different offerings and what they represented. But one of the offerings that were brought was the Asham Tale for a questionable guilt. We're not sure if I committed a sin. Sages, why do you bring an offering for that? Sages, tell us. This teaches us that one needs to be paying attention. Pay more attention to what you're doing. It's a wake-up sign. If you needed to bring that offering, perhaps you're not paying close enough attention to what's going on around you. Perhaps you're not paying close enough attention to the requirements that you have. So on the reverse, we have the five different types of offerings, the Ola, the Mincha, the Shlamim, the Chatas, and the Asham, and all of the different types of animals or ingredients that were brought. Who can eat it and where can it be eaten? Is it an obligatory or a free will offering? Did they have to? Or was it just out of their free will? Was it the most holy of offerings or the less holy? And what sin does it atone for? So, my dear friends, this concludes the Parsha review for Parsha's Vayikra. I wish you all a magnificent, beautiful Shabbos a Shabbos of holiness, a Shabbos of repentance, and a Shabbos that we're able to remove that arrogance and connect on the highest level possible with our creator of heaven and earth. Thank you, and have a great Shabbos.